Hello, I'm Oliver Wang. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, flammables, fire, bangers and such. And today, we'll be deep diving together into Outkast's monumental double album, Speaker Box, The Love Below. Released in the fall of 2003, Speaker Box The Love Below was Outkast's fifth album, though as we can maybe get into later, one can make a very strong argument that it's really the first solo album by both Big Boy and Andre 3000, but in any case, it would become the group's most successful release, selling something like 18 times platinum, not to mention all of the critical love it received, including being one of the very few hip-hop albums to ever win the album of the year from the Grammys. Undeniably, the double album marked the peak of the group's career, but also the beginning of the end of Big Boy and Andre's partnership. To talk about Speaker Box and the love below, we invited the heroic trio, the Holy Trinity, the Big Three, a.k.a. Uh. King, <laughs> a.k.a. Anita Bias and Amber and Paris Strother. It is packed in the studio today. That's just what it is. But I love it. We're close. Twitter's come a long way since my discovery of it. When I discovered it, I liked it. But it took a few key events to make me become enamored. One of particular significance was the day seven years ago when a couple of tweets between a couple of tastemakers over a couple of minutes introduced us all to three young women with a sound so fresh and so clean, shout out to Outcast, <laughs> with such rich harmonies and two words that would change things for us all. The story. Got a story. Paris and Anita showed up in all of our lives, blending 80s soul with chill jazz wave. Anita Baker with the Jones Girls with SWV, something old, something new. Twin cities to the city of angels. And since 2011, they've been living their best lives. Oh, yeah, it's been good. They've released a full-length album, reimagined Fela Cootie with Glasper, mm. been Grammy-nominated, mm. shared the stage with Solange. And on a beautiful night of mine in the Great Western Forum, they sang their songs to a rapt audience as the opening act for the late and the great Prince Rogers Nelson. Mm. By now you've heard the phrase, yes, queen. But around here, around <laughs> L.A., we say, yes, king. They are ours, our play cousins, our friends. They are black girl magic with a sound and a story that's supernatural. Welcome to the show, y'all. Welcome, girls. Thank you. 
What was your introduction to Outcast? We always have to ask that because we're always surprised at the albums that our guests pick. This album was 2003, but what was your introduction to, or when did you come to know the band we now know as Outcast? Um, I think the first song I'd ever heard was um, Elevators, Me and You. Oh, and yes. Such kind of, I guess, what we call almost like a down-tempo vibe today. Just the way they brought everything together on that track, you could tell it was something special. Was this on the radio? Did you hear it in the club? Oh, I mean, this was like 90. Oh, right. You would have been a little, yeah. <laughs> Young, youthful, okay. youthful. Radio, yeah. radio. Yes, definitely the radio. It was so refreshing at the time. Such a refreshing sound, and it was a sound that they took then but carried on with them throughout their, you know, whole discography. If, if you don't mind me asking, how, how old were you when you heard this song? I was, what, 94, 95? I think? Roundabout, yeah. yeah. That was the first record, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we were eight, eight wow. years old. <laughs> yeah, I remember being on a road trip uh, to Dallas, Texas. Oh, that's right. Um, and elevators coming on, on the hour, every hour on the radio, <laughs> you know? But back then, that was such a form of sharing. Sure. And really an integral part of how you heard music. So I think to be around and experience that as children in that day and age, just kind of encompassing your spectrum of music, you know, just all around. I mean, it was just groundbreaking in terms of, oh, this is what we need to be hearing. Morgan, I think if I recall, you were living out in Georgia probably around the time that first LP dropped, right? I was. I went to to Clark, Atlanta, and I was there in 92 to 96. So what was it like when Outkast first started to blow up? Incredible. I mean, the first album was also, I think, the same year Functified came out, The Brat. So it was sort of this emergence of this Atlanta sound, which started off with with Criss Cross. And then, of course, uh, our first guest on this show was Joy, and she was a huge part Mm -hmm. um, um, of that. The Pendulum vibe. Um, You had Dungeon Family. Dungeon Family. I mean, Goody Mob Mm -hmm. later. So it was really sort of Atlanta putting their sound on the map, and at, and at this time, I think in, in hip hop, it was so important. Regional representation was important. L.A. wanted to represent, New York wanted to represent, and Atlanta came with something completely different, and it was dope. It was it was a great time for Atlanta because they were able to claim a whole movement as their own. Yeah. Now, Outcast obviously has an incredible catalog. So, why did y'all want to talk about specifically Speaker Box and the Love Below? This record, I mean, speaking personally, this one touched me in like a whole different way. Um, I think Hmm. hearing kind of how each of them separately made an album of their own, but it still was so honest and true to the sound that we knew of them. Were you surprised at all? Were you surprised at the direction this this album took? Because I have to say I was. I mean, I feel like we were getting getting here with Stankonia, that we were sort of getting to this sort of different time, but I I was really surprised. It it sounded like more of a celebration to me. Hmm. Like they just kind of found what they really wanted to do, Mm. and they did it. (laughs) I don't know if I was surprised, but I also think that it was a really big album, I think, for us because of the time it came out. And, you know, we're juniors in high school in 2003, and 
just that real like internal connection it it felt like like home mm-hmm. so it just felt good Amber, if I can just pick up on that for a brief sec, because you were mentioning, you know, this album came out when when you were in school. And so I'm wondering, what was your relationship to music in general at that point in your life? Again, around 2003. How much were you listening? How much were you playing or, or learning to play, et cetera? For me, around that time, music was, and for a while after, music was completely based on discovery. Mm. So... I think that, I mean, kind of touching on school and just being a young person or even in at this age, if you're looking for answers, like kind of going to music and discovering yourself in it. Paris was definitely like the theory-based like musician. I didn't even know at that point I'd be doing music professionally. Yeah, The Love Below in particular just turned my world upside down. Mm-hmm. And it was a time, I guess kind of right after I was really getting into jazz. And so that was something mm. that there was no classmates of mine I could sit and talk with. Like, yo, you hear that Bill Evans from like 70 something? <laughs> so, um, you know, there I was really intrigued and really like kind of turned on by the thought of string arranging and horn arrangements and everything. But then comes a band that everybody loves, every classmate, every person. Um, people on the basketball team had this record and <laughs> were all at once being introduced to Andre 3000 in particular. His side of the record where it's a lot of scoring, really deep strings. He even did a cover of like my, at that time, favorite song to play, My Favorite Things. Yes. And- way they were reaching back was still really, really progressive and moving forward. It just, I think, really opened up my mind and even would go so far to say it paved the way for like how I thought about presenting music. Like, wow. It just has to be a collection of things that you really love. I hadn't really heard anybody kind of in that genre doing what they had done with that record. I guess when I when I talk about surprises, one of the surprises for me was uh, was Andre's falsetto. I was like, it's decent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's decent. Given that, you know, it's billed as an Outcast album, but to me, it really is two separate solo projects that just happen to be bundled together inside of the same jewel case. And you know, I think at the time, a lot of people read it as, oh, these are two guys, different visions, different kinds of creative impulses that are still willing, willing to work together under the you know, outcast banner. But these are effectively solo projects. And I'm wondering, is that how y'all processed it when, when it first came out? Or you really thought, saw this as an outcast album, not as a big boy plus Andre 3000 LP? I, I can't say I did because they both are such strong and absolute parts of the group mm. that I don't, I don't think it's beyond them to separate themselves from outcasts, but I think they are outcasts. Mm-hmm. So I think you're still getting like messages in the music that are very particular to outcasts and very almost particular to Atlanta. Like there's a certain type of mm. honesty and like almost like existential type of thinking that 
You know what I mean? It's right, it's right. not to the point where it's trying to be so out that you can't understand it, and it's just so in the air. Right. But it's, it's still grounded. It's, yeah, it's the most grounded music. Like you know, yeah. at, it's the most grounded music. And very true to Atlanta. This didn't change. Their whole yeah. thing had been Atlanta. And at least Big Boy's part is like, this is me and this is Atlanta. This is Big Gip. Yeah. This is CeeLo. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is parts of Goody Mob. This is Sleepy Brown. Yeah. This is how we get down in, in Atlanta. So I thought, I thought the, I think the experience of the sound of Atlanta is it's a, it's a package deal. It comes with everybody. Yeah. The Dungeon family, as Oliver alluded to earlier, mentioned earlier, you get everything. So it's not just it's not just Big Boy and Outkast. It's all of Atlanta, which was one of the things I love about them. That it just seems like it's Outkast and his choir, which is the city of Atlanta and all the mm-hmm. and all the artists of Atlanta. It definitely had its own unique flavor on each side. But like Amber had kind of hinted at, I feel like um, it was maybe just kind of digging in a little deeper to the records we'd heard before, mm-hmm. and maybe splitting the cells a little bit, but. As much as Andre was on Big Boy's part of it, you know, it, it, you know, helping produce and both of them having produced their own stuff and then knowing that they had produced their stuff prior to that, it still felt like kind of a family party mm-hmm. to me. If I can ask quickly, so were all three of you living in the Midwest at, the, at that point, like in 2003? No, oh, I was out here. Oh, you were out here already? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I'm just wondering to the extent, but none of you were living in the South, though. No. So I'm wondering to what extent Outcast and whether this album, perhaps some of the previous ones, served as an ambassador of sorts for a Southern sound, if you even processed it geographically in that sense. Absolutely. For sure. Because the South, the South, to me, is so distinct in the culture, you know, whether it's the music or the cars or just the drawl of the South. I right. think our, our father's from Mississippi, so it's always been a lot of stories about the South and mm-hmm. things that are only very particular to the South mm-hmm. and to black folks and so and I think outcasts they never gave you never they never confused it they never yeah it was always supremely southern and, you know and there's a regal <clears throat> to that absolutely and yeah. black southern and they really would be like this is about college park mm-hmm. decatur east point and the swats this is what this is about this is not about buckhead this is about this side of atlanta oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, you know really felt immersive as a young person listening to it and you're hearing their description of like being in the club on like Spodio Spodio Doublelicious you know you're just like wow it's such a thing you know (laughs) talking about how sweet they want their women to be and how her neck smells like yams with syrup and you're just like oh okay that's a whole thing yes when I first met my Spodio Doublelicious angel I can remember that damn thing like yesterday the way she moved reminded me of a brown stallion horse with skates on, you know. Smooth like a hot comb on nap ass hell. I walked up on her and was almost paralyzed. Her neck was smelling sweeter than a plate of yams with extra syrup. Eyes beaming like four carrots apiece, just blinding the nigga. Felt like I cheaped the whole order that presidential. My heart would be so damn fast. Never knowing this moment would bring another life. To your world. question, it was outcast, and then I remember like needing to have the Dungeon Family CD before I even really oh, knew yes. like, who Dungeon Family was. We had done a, a 
HBCU tour around that time as well as high school students. Wow, okay. And also, like, going, like, when you mentioned CeeLo and Dungeon Family album and kind of the South feeling like that, you know, it just, it it feels warm and different Mm -hmm. and, like, super, like, swagged out in a whole different dimension. Like, you go there and you're seeing people wear things that you've never seen Mm -hmm. before and just... The air is different, and to me, you could put an outcast record on that and still get that vibe. Absolutely. A question that I had is, listening to the album again in preparation for this chat, what did you notice that you may not have noticed first time around? Mm. Andre's use of instruments, his mm. scoring. I mean, you know, to a certain element, you are you recognize what it is, but then going back and hearing it and realizing who you were and how it changed you and how you hear music. That was really special. But what he chose to use, his use of the drum machine on Pink and Blue. around my studio and I've been collecting everything that sounds like that and I really feel like his was like the first time I really heard it in isolation even Sly was coupling it with other like real drum sets and stuff and then kind of going to his production on ghetto music and using the same Mm. the same kind of 808s over the Patti LaBelle sample and everything Listening to it now, um, and I was not a producer at the time. I liked to play piano when I was like in high school, but now as a producer, um, hearing things in his music that only happen one time, mm-hmm. like one synth line that'll happen once, and hearing um, the layers, and I can, I, I'm proudly a direct descendant of Andre 3000's production. I also didn't realize how much of he produ- how much of it he produced on his own, mm-hmm. and and you know just kind of. Such, it was such a nice way to showcase yeah. someone's imagination. And the record was hilarious. But yes. It was funny. It was so funny. It was showed sense of humor. You know, it showed kind of um, just someone's mind that's been expanded. It's sort of a morning after conversation. And it's like the girl. That might, that might be where my panties and she's yeah. like. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's exactly what that is. Yeah, and she's, and she's like, he's going to think I'm a, I'm a hoe. And I remember th- listening to that with some girlfriends, and we were we all feigned shock, like, "Oh my God, I can't believe!" But it, it's just so true that you have those that you have those conversations. So it was very much tapped in, and it was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't slandering anyone; it wasn't slander. It was just a real conversation about how things happen in the morning after yeah. to, to other people. I'm not speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, hey, I feel like they to, both to have people. that ability of storytelling. Where I think the best storytellers have a. It's not comical. But it, there's a lightheartedness to it to yeah. get stories yeah. across. Because yeah. I, I think Big Boy He's a does that dude. exceptionally yeah. well. Like, you, I'd never get tired of listening to Big Boy. I could listen to him on top of anything. Like, sure. you know, 
that kind of might have been missing from that time too because it was so much I remember like G and it was really super serious sure. mm-hmm. huge right. huge or comical but not uh, but unintentionally like, in some well, ways well, yeah. it's <laughs> well, not at my expense right. you know right. <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah like to 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 be able to tell things lighthearted. I mean when he's going when Andre goes back to his perspective on where are my panties and he's like there's nothing wrong with a woman knowing what she wants right. you know and just it's kind of like okay <laughs> <laughs> thank you Andre yeah. Yeah. I know she think I just think she's some kind of hoe I don't give a shit about giving it up on the first night that just let me know she know what she want out of life what a hell of a way to goddamn wake up Oh, that shit was good. Oh, maybe she'll give me some breakfast. I have to talk to you guys as as singers, and I've already said how you know how surprised it was. A wonderful surprise to hear that Andre could sing like that. I hope that you're the one. If not, you are the prototype. We'll tiptoe to the sun And do things I know you like think I'm in love. What did you think of singing? What did you think of the vocals? How did you receive them then and how do you receive them now? Now that you guys are singers and musicians, how do, how does the vo- how do the vocals sound to you now? It sounds awesome and honest and, yeah, and purposeful. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And all the hooks, all the background singers, and the hook off of Reset. It's that real smoothness that, you know, she's not doing a lot. You know what I mean? It's just everything happens for a reason. Good doesn't come without pain. Mm. You know? You just hear that on a loop. It's real deep stuff. And But they use all vocals on that album and all their albums perfectly. We will be back with more of our conversation with King about Outkast 2003 double album, Speaker Box, and The Love Below after a brief word from some other fantastic Max Fun podcasts. really don't mean shit. The Ricky Holmes, he got to serve probation for six months, but Uncle Donnell and old dirty bastard still in the joint. Reset. What's up? I'm James, the co-host of Minority Corner. And look at that! The other co-host of Minority Corner. Girl, guess what? What? We just hit our 100th episode. What? And what do you think is going to be in store for the next 100? Probably some more feuds with Jennifer Hudson. And I'm telling you. We'll probably do more investigative reporting, too, like we did with the Kodak and their racist film. Not to mention exposing the truth, like how we did with the ugly history of the Texas Rangers. But we always lighten the mood with a splash of pop culture. Olivia Pope's new wig. Have you seen that? It's popping. Just like your lip gloss. And Janet Jackson. And you know we like to put our nerd glasses on and talk about 
things like Marvel. It's true. That's it. <laughs> I don't speak about DC. <laughs> but you just did. What? All from a perspective that's black, queer, and ladylike. So come on over and learn, laugh, and play, and join the corner. It's a lot of fun. I'm having fun right now. <laughs> Minority Corner. Yeah, Mark. Hey, buddy. Oh, hey, what's up, ma'am? Um, so I'm at this mafia restaurant. What? I'm going to go in and ask these guys what they think the best pasta shape is. Mark, they're probably eating. It's... I have a hunch that it's probably ravioli, but I mean, you know what? That's a good idea. Whatever they're eating, I'll just take a look in their bowls Why don't and you... see what they have. Maybe... There's supposed to be a big meeting there today. Can you see it from the street? That sounds really dangerous. So I'm just going to go inside and ask. Don't don't bother them. They're probably eating, you know. Well, look, I'm not threatened by them. How about we tell them what the best pasta is on our podcast? We got this with Mark and Hal. Oh, that's a great idea. Thank God. Tuesdays at 9? On MaximumFun.org. We are back with uh, three of my favorite girls, King, Amber, Paris, Anita, and we are talking about Outkast's seminal album, Speaker Box, The Love Below. Let's talk a little bit about Speaker Box, and then we'll get to Love Below. We ask the fire tracks, we ask sleeper tracks, but let's start with fire. From the Speaker Box side, mm-hmm. my fire track is Reset. My second favorite is Unhappy. Fire tracks for you from the speaker box side. All, all three of you. It was actually those two are my top two favorites. Mm. Ghetto Why? music. Why? Um, I think just the style of music I'm into in general. Just kind of that laid back kind of. Now it's a really nostalgic feeling. Like I felt reset in my bones. I listened to it again this morning. Mm. Uh, um, the second track though, that high energy, just like whoa, what is that? Oh my god, it's everything. Like that kind of thing. Like everything's <laughs> flying at you, and it's so. Fun and energetic. I would say those maybe three songs are my jams. I'm going to go with Unhappy. Yes. Yeah. What did he say during the chorus? Might as well have, have fun. Because your happiness is done. Yeah. <laughs> your goose, goose is cut. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Made sense to me. Minus Tomb of the Boom. Is that what it's called? Mm. Yeah, that beat was everything. Yeah. Drug related. It made me sick to my stomach. Lost a two of the baby. You don't grind. You can lie. Should be castrated. Lorena Bobbitt, baby. Yeah, I'm tomb after tomb. Boom, boom after boom. Serving up emotion once you deep inside the tomb. Every ocean newborn, you can feel me in the womb. Boom, cool. Right. Yeah. Cool. You see, I cop that clock, got more pool than slang shots. Hit these spots, I'm giving hoes that shot. I'm a young country boy, long socks with flip flops, but I pull up on your block in the 500 feet. Big Boy to me is, it's kind of like that Scarface thing where it's kind of spooky. Mm. And I like spookiness in, in my music. Like, there has <laughs> to be like a kind of, not scary, but just like that underbelly that has some heaviness to it yeah. and you know I just feel like Big Boy raps with a toothpick in his mouth like, for sure like, you know like for sure very just a very cool guy that's a great metaphor I love that <laughs> I love that Aquarius he is an Aquarius yeah. what about the sleeper cuts off of uh, Speaker Box I, I remember loving 
church when it came out. Sometimes I can keep you down with a place on the dirt. If you feel that left behind, need to get up and go to church. I, I think that's a really fun energy song, and it draws off of praise and worship in church, and mm-hmm. kind of like that break in it where he's it's like the bass walk. so hard to call something like a sleeper because yeah. I feel like the way we even listened to music back then that I don't know not even really having the titles unless you had the CD in your hand it's just like you kind of listen to it and things had so much more of a chance to like be in your right in the front of your mind but all of the songs to me were for James but knowing I guess of the three I named before that's probably <laughs> like a runner up to those maybe for sure did you have a sleeper something that might have flown under everyone's radar but was was fire Tomb of the Boom, just like that kind of haunting, you know, yeah. chant throughout. I loved the, it felt like a cypher, because there was yeah. like, what, four, was there four rappers on yeah, there? you got Ludacris on there, I think, Ludacris. you got Big Dip <laughs> on there. Everybody. Atlanta, everybody. Was, yeah. I, I really loved that that album, Speaker Box, like, I just, I love yes. Big Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like um, Oliver, I mean, l- listening to this in preparation for this conversation, I really felt an obligation to go back and listen to Speaker Box. I felt like I, right. I, I, I skipped ahead, which was such a sacrilege then, because in those days you didn't skip ahead. I mean, it, it, it took effort to skip ahead because you had to get up and, and, and change the CD if you didn't have a remote. So you had to. <laughs> <laughs> so if you wanted to skip ahead, you really had to skip ahead. So even even skipping ahead then felt like a sacrilege. And listening to it again, I was like, man. And one of the tracks that stood out to me from Speaker Box was Rooster. But in the end, you pay attention to the pluses, but the minuses behind it make it seem like you can't get it. Which is which is a gem. I was like, why didn't I listen to? The, why didn't I give this a shot before? What what was I missing? But Big Boy produced that one, didn't yep. he? Yeah. So many jewels. Um, yeah. I mean, you think about the production of that song too, and the orchestration. I, that's why they felt like the same albums to me because mm-hmm. even though it was different sounds and drawing from different things and strings more on the love below and maybe horns on Big Boy's side, but they, it was all so different to me that it just gelled together. Yep. All right, let's turn to the love below. Let's turn to it. Yeah. What were the fire tracks off of there for y'all? Um, Anita, let's start with you. Um, I love She Lives in My Lap. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was my favorite. But she lives in my lap. She 
sword is hard. Out. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a list of my favorites, and it's only missing, like, three songs from the record. So, like... <laughs> but, um, if you had to pick the number one. Dracula's Wedding is the jam. I don't care what anybody says. It is a jam. It has... I'm not going <laughs> to deny you that. It's a jam. I'm terrified of you. I wait my whole life the right one. And you come along, and that freaks me out. So I'm Dracula's Wedding. There's two synth lines in there that happen like when Khalees is singing over it, and it's just like, I don't, I didn't, I didn't even have a synthesizer back then. Like, what, what is that sound? Oh, my favorite uh, is Vibrate. Mm. Yeah. That's, like why? <laughs> um, I appreciate the production, um, that underwater type of vibe. Um, motherfuck the wagon, come join the band, you know. And to me, Outcast is a band, mm. a band. And I'm kind of like one of those bands. I feel like everybody's saying like, "Oh, you know, I love the love below," but I'm like, "Wait, damn it!" <laughs> Speaker box is amazing as well, but. They are such, like, a band to me, and that song feels like them to me. Yeah, the, the was I think it's trumpet playing over it, and it's just a, it's a vibe. Yeah. I feel like that song I can put on all the time and listen to. Nobody Said Heya, which is only the most successful, popular <laughs> song from, from Outkast ever. In some ways, surprises me yet doesn't. I mean, on the one hand, it's you know the group's most successful, popular song of all time, but maybe its insane popularity has made it seem less special with time. I don't know. Do you think he has played out? This is a, a key question that I wonder because as a wedding DJ, I play it out quite a bit. But part of me thinks the fact that it is a wedding song now does that mean that it's somehow less cool as a consequence? Well, I think that that was the crossover song. I I I thought at the time I was like, but there's so many other jams on here. Right. Not taking away from Hey Up, but right. there's so many other jams, and that that became the thing, and MTV wore it out. Yeah, I just great video though. Great right. video. And shout out to Brian Barber for that. But but they they just kept going on and on, and, and for me it took a little bit of the, you know, the thing to the stay away from. Yeah, a little bit. Would that have been y'all's favorite are one of the favorites if it had not been a single though you think if it would have been more on the sleeper side of things would you have loved it that's a great question oh my god the tables have turned on us here at heat rocks Shout i out. still love it it's it would be my fire track even though as the young people say these days it's a very basic choice but sure. i don't care like that song is incredible it, it is and, and i liked it because it reminded me of bombs over baghdad it had that it had that hype right. and it had that so it just to me it sounded like a like a, it had an up-tempo church feel, and I like that Super a lot. High energy. Yeah, yeah. The, not my favorite though. Yeah. My, my favorite was "Love Hater." Mm-hmm. 
song with a lot of identities. The way it started, I didn't know what it was going to turn on, turn into. It, it started to me, I thought, this this is a rock song. And then he started crooning, and I was like, come through black Tony Bennett. Hip-hop <laughs> Tony Bennett. And it was very, you know, it was very cocktail jazz to me. That's my favorite song, and um, I have to say, I also loved uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah, Valentine's yeah. Day. Such a good one. Every both day is the 14th. That's a jam. The yeah, lyrics to both really of those songs song. were so great. Everyone needs someone to scratch their dandruff. That's like, it. Right. That is so real. Yeah, you know? Gully <laughs> realness. Shout out. I don't think y'all heard, man. I just want to say happy Valentine's Day. Every day the 14th. Can y'all dig that? Now, when arrows don't penetrate, see... We want to also salute um, the features on this on this part of the album. She lives in my lap. We got a shout out Rosario Dawson. Mm-hmm. I already talked about Khalees and also Nora Jones on uh, "Take Off Your Cool," which yeah. is also a great song too. Just as it was hard to talk about the sleeper jams on speaker box, I imagine it's going to be difficult with the love below. But are there any songs here that you feel like did fly under the radar that don't get enough love? For me, the last track, um, yes, a life in, in the, the day, day. Mm-hmm. and you know, I've been, yeah. I just realized I hadn't thought about that title until last night. We we're just sitting together, and I was like, wait. This is the day of Benjamin Andre. This yeah. is a life in the day of Benjamin Andre. And even just the care he takes with mm. titles. Mm. But listening to the lyrics to that and just it's so autobiographical. Yes. It's it's really letting you in. I didn't even finish that song. It's just like, you know what? How perfect that it's a work in progress. It's autobiographical. You know, it's right. not like right. it's not like when I mean, this is this is done and now it's like over. It's like he's telling it. It's in progress. And I mean, I just. Genius. I think he's a genius. I met you in the club in Atlanta, Georgia. Said me and my homeboy were coming out with an album. You looked at me like, yeah, nigga, right. But you gave me your number anyway. You were on the talcum. Powder house about them oranges. Moved away from home to school with big plans by day. Study the history of music by night just to pay for that shit. You dance. To get your pants was a mission in possible. We were both the same age, but I suppose wasn't on the same page. Yeah, I think you mentioned the, the two. That would be mine as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the whole record's great. <laughs> Every possible thing. Um, I would say the sleeper jam for me is spread. I don't want to move too fast, but can't resist your sexy ass just Is there a song on any of this album that you all would consider covering? Uh, yeah, I mean, so much of it is personal to Andre. Like, I wouldn't really want, you know, like, 
<laughs> those songs that I said were kind of like She's Alive or A Life in the Day. Those are definitely him, but I am I have covered Prototype before. Okay. I mean, everybody loves that one. We ask um, all of our guests to describe the album that they come to talk about in three words. This is a unique situation, a blessed situation, because there are three of you. Oh. So you're just going to get one word apiece. <laughs> okay. Um, so if you had to describe, or should we do the whole album, or should we do... No, no, let's just do the whole the, project. The whole project. The whole project, All right. but each of them gets one word. One word. If you had to describe Speaker Box, The Love Below, in three words, and you all get one, what three would they be? What word? Just one word each, right? Yeah. My word, I think, would be sophisticated. Love it. I'm going to go with fun. Love it. I think I'll say cinematic. Mm. Mm-hmm. That to me is it in a nutshell. That'll do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, King. So glad um, to have you in studio with us, and thank you for spending the time. Where can people find you in on these internets? They can find us at We Are King. That's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and our website is weareking.com. And what are you working on right now? New music. Yes. <laughs> I'm just working on it. Yes. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Morgan Rhodes, and Oliver Wang. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself, Oliver Wang, and Kara Hart, and today's show was engineered and edited by Kara. Shout out to Kara. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in the front door of their studios in the beautiful Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, heatrockspod.com. And that is where we will post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and other goodies. Again, that's at heatrockspod.com. And Morgan, I think we have some social media shout outs, yeah? We do. We have to thank first Jason Woodbury from Aquarium Drunkard for all of the love. We appreciate yes. you. Angel City 22 and Derek Dukes. Thank you so much for shouting us out. Good to see you, Morgan. Good to see you too, Oliver. And before we go, here is a teaser from next week's episode. So we've been talking a lot about different songs off of here, but if you had to pick the fire track off of this LP, what would it be? (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Tough Heavy heavy sigh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for me, it's got to be baseball. It's got to be baseball. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.